you would take out the Word of God, turn to Mark chapter 1. I'm going to look at verses 35 through 45 of Mark chapter 1 as we begin our sermon series through the, or we continue our sermon series through the book of Mark. As you do that, I do want to make some comments about uh, Tuesday. Everybody knows what's coming, Tuesday. Uh, We live in a country where we have the freedom to exercise certain liberties, and we must do so as Christians. We witness the gospel at all times, including when we are in the voters' booth. Uh, We don't take our Christianity off and become someone else. Uh, We are to uh, witness that Jesus is Lord in a variety of ways. Uh, and one way is we, we are Christians, and we believe that life is a gift from God. And we must uh, be those who protect life and speak for uh, the sanctity of life and protect the unborn. But we're not just pro-birth. Uh, we're pro-life, which means we care about everyone created in the image of God, no matter the color of skin no matter ethnicity, and so that shows up when we vote, uh, the fact that we are pro-life. One of the things I would say to you today to be extremely uh, aware of and cautious of at this time in our country's history is the threat to religious liberty. Hopefully, as a Christian in America, you realize after this year that that is something that is not safe. Uh, I would have never thought ever uh, as a pastor that there would have been a time in ministry where we would have um, heeded to the government's advice to not have church. It's just kind of a weird thing. I know there's reasons for it and we made the best decision we could as a church and we do that again with the information we have. But um, I'll be honest with you, there are times that I wake up and go, what did we just do? And so I think it should kind of wake us up a little bit that we live in a culture, like it or not, in a lot of ways that is post-Christian. Some of us don't like to hear that, but that's true. And so as Christians, we are still Christians, (laughs) and we still witness the Lordship of Christ, and we do so when we vote, and you should vote, um, because you love your neighbor, uh, because you want a culture in which the gospel can be freely preached. There's nothing wrong with that. We do understand that Christians throughout history have always been the persecuted minority. They've always been the prophetic minority. And Jesus will build his church no matter what happens on Tuesday or what happens to our country in the next year, 10, 20 years from now. Jesus will still be Lord. But we do exercise such liberties as Christians, and you should be thankful for the opportunity to do that. And so I want to read a passage of Scripture and then pray for our nation before we dig into our sermon today. Hear the word of Christ from 1 Timothy chapter 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplication, prayer, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceable and quiet life. Did you hear that? In the Roman world where Christians are suffering... The prayer is still for leaders 
so that Christians could lead a peaceable and quiet life. The text continues, godly, dignified in every way. Understand, as you vote, as you express your opinions about what should happen in our country, you must still be godly and you must still be dignified and you must still act like Christians. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. And notice why we should pray for peace an opportunity to live out the gospel in a peaceful way. Because this is good and pleasing in the sight of God. Notice who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so we want to live in a place where we can proclaim the gospel. And that may be a place that doesn't approve of the gospel. You do understand that, right? When you look at history... The church has thrived and grown, even in places and times where Christians were hated, jailed, persecuted, and killed. It's grown. And we will do so even if things don't go the way we want them to go. We will still be Christians, and on Wednesday, Jesus will still be Lord, and he will still be building his church. Let's pray. Oh God, you care more about our hearts, and you care more about our lives, and you care more about the gospel than who wins this election. And so, God, I pray that we would trust Christ and we would cling to him. But, God, there are things in a fallen world that make us sick. And the slaughter of thousands of children in the womb day after day makes us sick. And, God, we want to be Christians who proclaim a gospel of life, so we stand for life. And, God, we want to be Christians who live in a culture where we can live out our Christianity in freedom. We can share the gospel with our neighbor. We can gather as a church family to witness Jesus as Lord. We can send missionaries to the ends of the earth. God, we want to live in a culture where we have the freedom to do those things. And God, we ask today, if it is your will, that we would continue to do those things in freedom. But God, we also know that we have brothers and sisters this very day who gathered by candlelight. Because what they were doing in basements was illegal as they opened up their Bible and they sang hymns in silence and they heard the word of God read. God, we know that the church is thriving in those parts of the world and it will thrive here nonetheless, no matter who is president. We are not casting a vote for Jesus. That deal's already sealed with an empty tomb. He is King and He is Lord, and we praise His name today, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse, we're going to look at verses 35 through 45. I'm just going to read verses 40 through 45. If you would, stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. And Clay's song at this point will begin to make sense to you. You're probably thinking, what in the world was he singing about? Well, here you go. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling and said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. 
And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. But he went out and he began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Oh God, I pray today that you would teach us by your word and that it would be your word that makes us clean and whole today. God, that we would come in here today and we would stop trying to make ourselves clean. We would understand that it is only the blood of Christ and it is only by the power of your spirit that we would be clean and acceptable before you. Oh God, teach us. Teach us according to your word and change us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, a skin disease or something like that is probably one of the worst things a teenage boy could have to endure during the teenage years. But along with other struggles that come from just being an awkward teenager and having to go through high school, I spent at least one year of my life trying to rid myself, rid my hands specifically, of the spread of some kind of warts that began to grow on my hand. And I know it's disgusting and it's going to get a lot more awkward, so just bear with me. I'm not sure where these warts came from, um, but at one point I could count literally on both hands 50 little small what they call planters warts that were just growing on my hands. And these things were extremely painful. I played sports, I was involved in athletics, and uh, there were times where I dunked. Yes, it was on a 10-foot goal. Dunked. No, it was a lowered goal in my backyard. And I would hang one of those warts on the rim, and it would rip off. There were times where I'd be working with my dad, and, and they would, I, I would be doing something, and, and they would, it wouldn't be blisters would, ru- would come up on these warts, and they would become infected. And it was extremely embarrassing. It was extremely disgusting. So you can imagine as a teenage boy, there were no, I was trying not to give anyone high fives, trying not to shake hands at church and wasn't going to hold any girl's hand at any point during that time of my life. It was just disgusting. It was nasty. I was always reminded about it. And my mom, who was a nurse, we got extremely desperate at times trying to get rid of these things. I had medication. I took medicine for viruses and had all of them frozen at one time on my hand and my hands were wrapped up. I was even told if you wrap them in duct tape, they'll go away. So at one time, I wrapped my hands in duct tape, and they didn't go away. Then I was told this old wives' tale, I think it was from a lady at church, that if you hide a rag, like make a wish or something, and hide a rag, that these warts would go away. So I would hide rags all over the house all the time, trying to get these things to go away. But one of the strangest moments that, that happened, and I didn't think this had happened to anybody else, until today, and I found out this same thing happened to Tyler King. His dad told me a story almost exactly like what I'm about to tell you. I went to a church. I was visiting a church with a friend, and my friend's mom said, oh, you have to meet Mr. So-and-so, because he can get rid of those warts on your hand. 
I remember thinking, how do you even know about these things? And that is, that's how you're going to introduce me to people at your church? Here's a kid. He's got a bunch of warts on his hand. Here, let's go meet Mr. So-and-so. He can get rid of those disgusting things. It was just extremely odd. She walked me over to a little old guy. I remember he had a cane, and he sort of shuffled up to me. and He grabbed my hands, and he rubbed my hands, and then blew on the warts. And turned around with his cane and shuffled off. And I thought, what in the world just happened in this little country church? Was this some sort of Benny Hinn moment out here in the middle of nowhere? It was really odd. It was really strange to me. And I began to read about it and try to figure out what in the world that guy thought he did. And I came across, it's actually an ancient voodoo practice. And this guy thought he was a wart charmer. And Tyler King's dad, Bo, told me that you have to be the seventh son of a seventh son and you have the power to rid people of warts. And you, you blow on these warts and you blow them on someone else. And so several years or several months later, I had surgery that sort of rooted out one of the warts and the rest of them went away. But I always thought, was it the surgery? That made the warts go away. Or was it the wart whisperer? <laughs> was it the voodoo wart charmer that blowed these warts off of my hands? Now, I realize because of the first service, you, you actually are more engaged in that story. They just sat there really awkward and weirded out by the story. I realize how weird that whole story is to you. But, but such a scene would not have been strange in Jesus' world. There was the idea that there were spiritual reasons for physical ailments all around. And, and anytime you had a disease, a skin condition, a sickness, there was a spiritual reason for that. And the solution to anything physical was spiritual. This is one reason doctors during this time are very different from doctors now. Doctors weren't trusted. They were kind of like wizards. They were kind of magician-like people who weren't trusted very much during this time. But here, as we have seen so far in chapter 1, Jesus has come in declaring a spiritual kingdom that solves a spiritual problem. But what is he doing as he declares this spiritual reality? He is walking about healing diseases. He is walking about casting out demons. He is walking about calming seas. He's going about the lame are walking, the blind are seeing. And you begin to see that this spiritual kingdom affects the physical. And Jesus is giving us a window into that. But in no way does Jesus want to be accused of some sort of voodoo wizardry. Notice verse 35, and rising early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place and prayed. At this point, Jesus can go nowhere without being recognized. Crowds of people are hoarding around him when they figure out who he is. He has been healing the sick, casting out demons. He, he's been doing all of these miracles and wonders. He's been preaching with authority and now he can't get away from people. And so he gets up early one morning while it's still dark. The emphasis here is he goes out in secret. 
to a place where no one is to get away from people. And what does he do? He prays. Everyone, notice, is seeking his attention, and yet he seeks the attention of the Father. And one of the things we're going to learn throughout the book of Mark is Jesus does this so often. And we see that his mission is directly connected to his relationship with the Father. He can't do what he's in the world to do without the Father. And so often he is found praying. And, and we, we need to realize if Jesus, the very Son of God, has to spend time in prayer, we do too. And one of the reasons we don't is we think we have more control than Jesus does. Martin Luther once said, I have so much to do today that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Is that the way you see your day? Most often we say, I got too much to do, I can't pray today. Or the reason I didn't pray is I have so much to do. And yet Jesus sees himself here. He has placed himself in position where he is totally dependent on the Father. And he can't go a day without the Father. And here, so much is demanded of him. He has to get away, not just to get away to relax, but to get away and engage in prayer. Notice verse 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. This is Simon Peter, who we begin to see as a central figure of the book. He's probably giving Mark the eyewitness account of what he is writing down. And they found him and they said, everyone is looking for you. And the word for looking here is they are hunting you. They are pursuing you. There is panic. Where is this Jesus of Nazareth? We must find him. They are hunting him down. And he said to them, then let's go to the next town. Isn't that interesting? Jesus, the celebrity, everybody wants to see Jesus, to hear him teach. And he says, not let's just plant a church here. We've got a small group of people. We've got a large group of people. I can be a mega church pastor here. And he says, let's go to the next town. And notice why he wants to go to the next town. That I may preach there also. Notice, for that is why I came. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. He goes through Galilee. He goes to the temples. And he begins to declare, in your presence, the kingdom is at hand. Folks, opening up the law. Folks, opening up the prophets. And he stands before them. And he says, before you are your traditions in flesh. Before you is the law in flesh. Before you is the promise of the prophets in flesh. These are they that testify of me. And he begins, the text says, to cast out demons to display the superiority of his word over all words. But notice here. Jesus' focus in these verses is prayer and the Word. What is Jesus' mission? It wasn't to heal everybody. It wasn't to cast out every demon. It wasn't to make everyone well. It wasn't to make everything right all the time. It was to preach the Word and to pray. His focus is on the Father and the Father's kingdom and to announce it has arrived. And notice... As he goes about, not in the city, but on the outskirts of the city, notice verse 40, a leper came to him. Now during this time, there were 72 skin diseases. And this man probably had the worst. These skin diseases were painful, and this one was painful, and it would have been disgusting. Lepers were 
rendered outcast and they were to live alone outside of the city. At times there would have been communities of lepers, but they were to stay away from anyone. They weren't to come in contact with anyone. And if you came in contact with them, you were considered unclean. The law commanded lepers to dress in tattered clothing, dirty, so people could see visually that they were unclean and stay away from them. Anytime a leper came close to someone, they were to mask up, they were to cover their face, and they were to scream, unclean, unclean, so no one got in contact with them, because they were believed to be so contagious. And so here is this leper, and notice, the, notice these beautiful words, and the leper came to him. The leper had been commanded to stay away from everyone. But he sees Jesus, and what is his reaction? To come to him. And as this man makes his way to Jesus, he's imploring him. The word is beg, but it also takes the, the meaning of command. Jesus is coming, this man is coming to Jesus saying, You have to do something. You have to do this. And he gets down on his knees as if before a king. And he says, if you will. He's acknowledging Jesus is king. And he's saying, you're the only one who can do this. And he is dependent upon his sovereign will to what? Make me clean. According to the law, if you came in contact with sickness or death, you were deemed unclean. At times you could go through ceremonial rites and make sacrifices to become unclean. But not this man. He was unclean for life because of the scars on his skin, because of the sores on his skin that were oozing with infection. And there was no way he could make himself clean. He could be plunged in the water over and over. The sores were still there. He could say the prayers over and over. The sores were still there. And now he sees the king. And now he sees the Savior. And he says, if you will... And notice Jesus, verse 41, moved with pity. The word for pity there is anger. Jesus is not angry at the man, but he is angry at what he sees. The word means to be disgustedly angered. And so before Jesus, he sees the curse of sin and he sees death on the image of God. It makes him sick at his stomach and he is angry. He is furious. What he sees before him is not the way God created the world. It is unnatural. It is not good. And this man is suffering the curse of death before him. And he is angry. And he is moved with pity. Compassion. And notice what he does. He stretched out his hand. Now think about that. I imagine the man as he saw the Savior reach out. If you touch me, you will make me clean because you're clean. And I imagine as he saw the hand of the Savior, he flinched. Because he had not seen anyone reach for him ever. No one had reached out to touch this man. And yet the hand of the Savior is moving toward him. And I imagine he flinched a bit. He hadn't experienced that in many years. And then these beautiful words. He touched him. 
There have been times this week that I read that and just wept. Talked to Clay this week reading this. He said, I just, I can't, I, I was overcome with emotion reading this. If you understand what this man has gone through, he has not experienced human touch in years. And now the most pure hands ever, clean hands, inherently clean and pure, touch him. And notice Jesus said, I will, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. The sores oozing with infection begin to reverse their natural course. And now this man stands before him whole and clean. And what we see here is the purity and power of the kingdom to reverse the curse of sin. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates everything and he calls it good. And it's good because it's under his complete authority and rule. And then we see in Genesis chapter 3, Adam sins. Adam rejects God's good rule. And so God curses the world with death, meaning he restrains temporarily his rule. The goodness is taken away. God is still sovereign. He's in control of that. But he allows death to invade the world so that we experience a world separated from his goodness, separated from life in him, separated from from his rule that brings about complete order, complete purity, complete life, goodness without anything bad. We experience that in this world. That's why we have death. That's why we have disease. It's because not everything is under God's complete rule that brings about life. He's still in control, but he allows us to experience chaos. This is why cells in your body will begin to attack each other to destroy your body. This is why we live in a world where there is uncleanness in the air. Viruses float in the air. This is why we live in a world where the body at some point stops working and we experience death. And God allows those things to happen because sin has been brought into the world. And yet here's God's holy king. Jesus has come into the world to establish his rule again, to establish God's good rule, to establish God's rule that has order in it. And we see that as he heals disease, casts away demons. Those who are blind, they can see. As we see those things, what we are seeing is God's holy king bringing us back under God's rule and giving us a picture of what it means to live again under God's pure and holy rule. And yet he walks upon a man here. And this skin disease is literally a sign of the stain of death attacking the image of God that he created. Experiencing death. This man's body is a display of the curse of death. And it makes the Savior sick. It makes him angry. Think about the years and shame and disgust that this was the lot of his life. Washing these wounds night after night, weeping. Why have I been cursed this way? Because he lives in a world cursed with sin. Same reason some of us endure sickness and disease. It's not always because of our Directly because of our personal sin, but we live in a world cursed with sin and death. 
And the Savior reaches out and the reign of God establishes order on his body again. But this picture of the leper reminds us that our greatest problem is more than skin deep. There's something else going on there. The reason he's enduring that is because of sin, which today is our greatest problem. We live in a world cursed with death because we live in a world where sin exists. And we who are sinners will have to live in this context of death leading to eternal death unless Jesus does something about it. We can't make ourselves clean. But on the cross, we see the power of Jesus' purity. The clean sacrifice, pure Lamb of God. He takes the punishment for our sin to make us clean of sin. We see His power in the resurrection. He is raised up. He he is raised up from the dead to lead us into a life where there is no more sin, so there is no more death to make us new under God's rule forever. Now that's good news for us, right? Not just clear skin Jesus comes to bring us. It's a clear conscience. And some of us here today are trying really, really hard to have clear skin before men. And what you need is a clean conscience before God. And that only happens in Jesus. There are some of you here today and you lay down at night and you're not looking at wounds on your hands and wounds on your arms and you're not looking into a body that is full of leprosy, but you lay down at night and you think about the same sin. Why am I committing the same sin? Why do I have the same thoughts? And your past haunts you. You think about things that you have done in different seasons of your life. Moments where you just said, I'm going to do whatever I want to. I don't care what the Word of God says. I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to do whatever I want to. And you made a wreck of your life. And you look back on those times and they haunt you. And what you try to do is make a rededication. A new commitment. I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to read my Bible more. You get involved in a small group, get involved in campus ministry. I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. I'm just going to do better. And you don't know what doing better really means. You're just a leper trying to use dirty toilet paper to clean yourself up. And all it's doing is making it worse. Some of you are here today and you've tried to become clean through simple behavior modification. What do the good folks on campus look like? What are the good people I know? You know, the people that I would say, he's a good guy. What does he do? Oh, he goes to church. Well, I'll go to church. Oh, he goes on mission trips. Well, I'll go on mission trips. Oh, he posts on social media that he's a Christian. Picture on Insta. Reading the Bible, that's what she does. So I'll do all of those things. And you've taken on an appearance of cleanness and goodness. And yet at night, you're still very frustrated. Some of you are frustrated with the people you're trying to be around to become clean. Because you look into their life and you say, oh, they they really believe these things. They really love Jesus. And that's irritating to you. Well, the reality is you're trying to make yourself different. By simply covering up blisters of a sin-sick heart. 
And when you're alone, the infection oozes out and reminds you you're just as selfish as you've ever been. You're just acting. You can't make yourself clean. That's the point. Nothing you do will make yourself clean. Nothing this leper did would make him physically clean. And nothing you can do will make you spiritually clean. Only Jesus can do that. And so there's good news. Jesus says, come to me. The man came to him. And he was made clean. Today, you need to come to Jesus. You need to trust in Jesus. You need to plead the pure blood of the cross And John tells us when you confess your sin, when you stop trying to hide it up and make up for it, when you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Don't you want to know the freedom of being pure? Don't you want to know the freedom of being not guilty? It only happens at the cross of Christ. And when you believe in Jesus, God promises to send His Holy Spirit to live within you. His Holy Spirit. And what His Holy Spirit begins to do is set you aside to that pure, good rule of God. And you no longer have to do it in and of yourself. You're following the lead of the Spirit. And you know the joy of obeying Jesus. It's it's not the guilt. It's It's not the begrudging grit of trying to do it yourself. You know the pure joy of obeying Jesus according to the Spirit. And He promises by this same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead to raise you from the dead so that you would live set apart to Him forever. So as your desires and your thoughts are being set apart by the pure Spirit of God, you are being ushered into a kingdom where Jesus everything under His good, pure authority, and you will experience it forever. That's the only way you can be made clean. Through Jesus. Come to Jesus today and say, if you will, and a bloody cross says, I will. Notice verse 23, Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. Now what's going on here is the same thing you do with your children. When you're going somewhere and you're telling them, you better act right, you better sit still, You better do what I say. And you know they're not going to do any of that. You know this is a futile thing that you are going through. But you sternly charge them. You literally, the word here is rebuke them. And so Jesus is sternly charging him as he sends him away. And he's saying, see that you say nothing to anyone. Now, it's interesting. Jesus knows this ain't going to happen. He says, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, Jesus doesn't want to be known as a charlatan, a a magician. He's headed to the cross. He has plans for the cross. He doesn't want to be known as a celebrity. He, He will be a crucified Messiah, and that's his purpose. So, so often he tells people not to tell anyone. But one of the most beautiful pictures here is he tells them to go to the priest and to offer a sacrifice. What's beautiful about it is Jesus wants this man to be accepted in his community. He he wants the priest to see proof that he is now clean. He's out of quarantine. He's free from isolation. He can move among the people. He can go to church. He can be involved in his community. Go to family get-togethers now. No mask. What must that be like? 
verse 45. But he went out and began to talk freely with them. He can't help himself. Just like the apostles in Acts, we cannot help but talk about what we have seen Jesus do. And notice he spread the news. It was an announcement. The same thing. Jesus has been announcing the kingdom is at hand. This guy's going about announcing the kingdom is at hand. And don't you wish that in our obedience we were more committed to spreading the news as this man does in his disobedience? He can't help but disobey Jesus and spread the news. The kingdom is at hand. The Messiah is here. Notice the result. So that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the desolate, the wilderness. Jesus has to stay outside of the cities because people are coming at him from every quarter, every angle. Every time Jesus walks into a city, there is a crowd of people. They are clamoring for him. Imagine him going in town after town and he's hooded up, trying not to be recognized. And then word begins to spread, that is Jesus. That's the Messiah. That's Jesus of Nazareth. That's the guy preaching with authority. Signs and wonders, there he is. And then he is clobbered with people. And in this moment, we see a bit of Jesus' humanness here. Jesus took on flesh. He became a human. And God gives us a picture into the fact that Jesus can't even control his fame. The one thing Jesus is saying, don't tell anybody. He's trying to get away from people. It gets out of Jesus' control. Can't do anything about it. And it's a picture of the fact the kingdom interrupts things. The kingdom cannot go unnoticed. If the kingdom is present, people are going to see it. The king is present. People can't get away from him. But notice Jesus willfully trades places with the leper. He goes out to the wilderness where the leper is to be. And he allows the leper to go into the city. And I'm sure the leper becomes a celebrity. Oh, you're the guy? You used to be a leper. What happened? Well, this guy Jesus, he touched me. (laughs) He healed me. And I'm whole. My word, that is amazing. Will you be on my podcast this week? You need to write a book. 90 Minutes with Jesus. He becomes a celebrity. And yet Jesus is the leper. Jesus is social distancing. While he's announcing the kingdom. It's at hand. Where is it? It's on the outskirts of the city. It's rejected. It's despised. It's forsaken outside of the city where I used to be. He trades places with the leper. You see, some of us believe today that our greatest problem is that we're not accepted. You long to be accepted. You long for other people to like you. Some of us, to the degree that we would do or say just about anything, Our Facebook posts, nice, pretty filters, always doing good things. I want to be clear, you shouldn't post anything but the nice, good things you do. Let's don't go the other way. But Facebook so often is our own lies about ourselves so that we would be liked and accepted. 
We try so hard to be cool. And all we're doing is covering up our scars. Like the leper in tattered clothing, we're just rearranging it, hoping it looks better. Hoping our appearance looks different before others. And that's not our greatest problem. Our greatest problem is God ends the story of human history with a holy city where Jesus is ruling and reigning. And the pro- one of the promises of this holy city is no unclean thing will enter into it. Now that's a problem for you and I because we're unclean. We have hearts that are unclean and we live in a world that is unclean. So how in the world are we going to get into God's holy city where the good news is you can't get in like you are, but He comes to where you are. Jesus trades places with you too. The holy King of heaven leaves a place where where everything is under His spotless control and He walks into a world where sin and death are swirling all around Him. Think about this. Think about Jesus' pure senses. I imagine at times He smelled death and decay around Him. And nobody else could. Because He was so pure. I imagine at times He could hear the creaking of the broken world around Him that had been shattered with sin. Jesus, who is pure and holy, at night had to wipe the dirt off of His feet. A world cursed. He enters a world that is unclean. He walks in a world full of viruses so that we might trade places and live one day with Him in a world where there is no sickness. Jesus went to funerals. Think about Jesus attending a funeral. We see this with Lazarus. He goes to his friend's funeral and what does he do? He stands outside the grave and stomps his feet like an angry horse. Because he hates what he sees. And yet Jesus is willing to experience those things. He wasn't a robot. He was full of emotion. He was full of compassion. And he felt sin and death in a way that you will never feel it. As painful as this world is to you, imagine how painful it was to the pure and clean and holy Savior. Imagine. It is so opposite Him. It is so counter Him. And yet it takes Him to a cross where we see the great exchange. The climax of Him trading places with us. Where Jesus, the one who knew no sin, became sin. Everything God would hate in you, Jesus becomes on the cross. And when you believe in Him, He credits you Jesus' righteousness. Everything He loves about Jesus is given to you. Isn't that beautiful? It's the Gospel. Jesus was the sinner discarded on a trash heap so you might be the righteous Son at the throne of heaven. Jesus was betrayed by friends so that you would be the accepted brother. Jesus was beaten by men so that you might be embraced by the Father. Think about what it must have been for Jesus to experience the slap on His face of one He had created. Think about what that must have felt like. And I imagine He he felt it in a way we could never feel it. 
Imagine what it would have been like for Jesus to feel spit on his face from one he created. And imagine what it was like for Jesus to be forsaken by the Father and punished under his wrath. He didn't deserve it. Imagine what it was like for Jesus to trade places with you. And he does so to make you clean. He was left alone as an enemy in judgment so you would be surrounded in the presence of love forever. And he takes us to the place where he rules and reigns forever. And what's sad and tragic is many of you have showed up here today and you're not trying to get warts off of your hands. You've shown up here trying to get clean hands, but you're just as guilty of spiritual voodoo because you're saying prayers and you're going through emotions and you just hope it works. And you're guilty of witchcraft just as much as anyone else. You see, our sin isn't mysteriously blown away. It's embraced by the Savior King who comes and dies for our sins. And under His rule with Him forever, our hands will no longer bear the scars of the curse of sin. Our hands will no longer bear the scars of the curse or guilt of sin. But it will be His pure hand. That we, every now and then, will catch a glimpse of. And we will see clean, pure hands, scarred with death from the nails that ran through them. And we will be reminded it is His hands that make us clean forever.